Hello and welcome to Mavs Spleen, where we break down a question, event, news, or trend every single day of the week. My name is Bobby Corella. I'm from Mavs Digital. Joining me today, he's back after a long layoff. It's Isaac Harris. What's up, Isaac? I'm back. I'm back and hopefully, uh, or possibly, we could get the NBA back in uh, a month or so. Final countdown is beginning, man. So it's uh, today is Thursday. On Monday, apparently, Luca and KP were supposed to re- report back in Dallas. Um, I don't think I share a zip code with either of those guys, and uh, I'm not sure that you do either. But who knows? Maybe maybe you're balling like Luca. Uh, but if, if you share probably a similar bank statement. Yes. Yeah. You you and I combined, uh, and one Luca game check are probably fairly fairly similar. Uh, but uh, if you see Luke and KP out and about, let us know. You know, let's let's make sure that these guys are back in Dallas and safe, of course, um, as well as the rest of the Mavericks. We're not talking about Luke and KP though today, Isaac. We're talking about a different guy. We're talking about uh, arguably the third guy. We're talking about the Michael Fenley to their Dirk and Nash. Today is all about Tim Hardaway Jr. and and the reason that we're talking about him is because I uh, I, I did a radio interview um the other day on the fan and they I, I was asked the question of outside of luke and kp who could make the most noise in the playoff series and i was like well i mean it's tim it's obvious but that got me to thinking you know coming into the season and i'm sure we'll talk about all this stuff but you know if you remember back to september and october whenever the table was set for this season and you know the maps have these goals of making it to the, to the playoffs the thoughts were you know okay Luke is awesome. KP's probably going to be awesome. What can they get from these other guys? And that question primarily is being asked of Tim Hardaway and Seth Curry to a degree. And, you know, maybe Dwight Powell, but like Tim is the guy, right? This team will arguably go as he, as he goes. If he has a good season, they'll be good. And if he doesn't, then they're going to struggle a little bit. And that wasn't necessarily the case at the beginning of the season. He was, he got off to a pretty poor start really. Um, and was coming off the bench, but the team was still winning. But he joined the starting lineup around Thanksgiving and and really never looked back after that. And so I, I kind of was thinking of like, you know, how do you sum up that guy's season and this guy's role on the team um, succinctly? Because to me, he, he's he's kind of a, like his game is very simple. You know, he just scores. He shoots the crap out of the ball and he scores a lot of points. Um but his contributions are a little more complex than that in that he's more valuable than like a role player, right? Than just a complimentary piece uh, because his floor is so high. This season, he scored 20 points or more, more than he scored in single digits. And uh, since he got injured in that game in the first quarter against the Lakers, this was right around Christmas time. He's only scored under 10 points twice. And that was in, you know, 30 or 40 games. So, you know, he's going to give you double digit points but he's maybe not quite at the level of like all-star caliber player. Right. So he's kind of in this in between. And I was thinking like, what, what is that guy? Who are those guys? Uh, How do you describe that guy? And then that kind of, I arrived full circle and was like, wait a minute, that's kind of just like Michael Fenley, right? Like that's what a third option is supposed to be a guy who you can count on to give you something. Um, But if he gives you any more than his average, and in, in this case, you know, Tim averages 16 points a game then that's pretty solid. And and so it feels like, I mean, when viewing it that way, it feels like he's kind of checked every box that was asked of him, expected of him this season. 
And uh, he's really had a fine year, 40% shooting from beyond the arc on seven attempts per game, 16 points, um, career high and effective field goal percentage. I mean, he's just been awesome. Um, but yeah, I don't know. He's just, it's such a, it's such a curious case because I don't know what you expected of him. I'm not sure that he's doing what you expected. I'm, I'm curious to just hear your thoughts on, on Tim, the player, Tim, the season and kind of how he fits into this whole thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned um, just like his role and the type of player he is because, you know, just him as a two guard, you look at how the game's evolved to this positionless basketball and what kind of even we grew up in of like point guards, shooting guards, small forwards, powerful, you know, even those positions, they're kind of like just going out at this point. It's just like, hey, you're a basketball player. You're on the you're on the floor. I think Rick's even used that line a few times. Like he's a basketball player naming whoever player it is, not a position. So but he fits kind of the 90s old school two guard mode. Like this is what he gives you is what you would want from a, a typical two guard. Uh, somebody who can put the ball in the basket, shoot at a high clip, really effective uh, and efficient. And so I think going into this season, you know, I think you got to go back a little bit to the trade when he first came to Dallas and his contract was so big. And for a lot of people, even New York, the reason why they traded Kristaps Porzingis is for them to open up cap space and to have a chance to sign bigger free agents. And so if you want to, and this is uh, kind of came back to bite him a little bit, even more past the Porzingis trade, but you know, it was viewed for a lot of people and for the Knicks as dead weight, a dead weight contract. And he comes to Dallas and man, I, I think this is his best season of his career in Dallas. He's flourishing in this role alongside KP and Luca. And, so, but he came to Dallas and he had the leg issue. You know, he played in what he, he played in 19 games for Dallas after the trade deadline, and wasn't wasn't as efficient. Shot 32% from three, and he was shooting the ball 14 times a game. And and so it's like, all right, he can get buckets. He was hoisting up threes, seven threes a game at the time. He he shot seven threes this season too. But he had the leg issue. And I think it was really important for people to realize that he wasn't healthy at the end of last season. And he, he got that fixed over the offseason. So he came into this season. And it's like, all right, this is a, a big year for him because he has a player option at the end of this coming year. And it, he, you know, he wants to play into that contract. And it's like, what will he do? Will he sign an extension? Will he do all this different stuff? So he goes into this season and you're like, man surrounding your generational talent like Luca and KP, you want shooters, you want wings that can shoot at a high clip from the outside. And like, that's what I expect. You ask me what I expect from Tim. I'm like, I want him to not go out there and shoot the ball 25 times a game, but become a more efficient player, play alongside Luca and them and shoot the ball at a high clip from the three point line. And man, I think he's did exactly that this year. And I, I mean, he's like outside of those two guys, he's, he's one player that, you just absolutely – I mean, you love seeing all the Mavericks play, but he's just a lot of fun to watch on the basketball court. Yeah, I mean, he's he's better than an X-factor, right? Uh, when, whenever you have Luka and KP out there – and this is the same for any team that is good, right? Any playoff caliber NBA team, especially teams that are winning, like, north of 45 games, closer to 50, the way the Mavericks would have, you know, have they played a full – 82 game schedule, you know that there's going to be one or two or three, or in the Warriors case, four guys who are all-star caliber players who are going to give you all-star caliber production, basically 75 times per season. Right. And then you're going to have your next layer of guys. And typically 
you know, with the way the salary structure is and everything, you know, there's going to be a huge drop off from your top guys to your mid tier guys. And it's kind of, I mean, it's unavoidable. It's just the way salaries are, you know, the salary scale is set in the NBA. You have two max players in, you know, Dallas's case, they're lucky because KP's a max player. Luke is a max caliber player on a rookie deal. So they have extra money, but you have one or two max guys. And then everybody else is basically making the minimum, right? Uh, Tim is not making the minimum. He's making a lot of money. He's making about $20 million this year and next year. And so I feel like that kind of put a target on his back uh, from, you know, kind of your, your more like front office minded fans that are more into like, you know, kind of the, the armchair GM style um, because he's the second highest paid player on this team. He better give you the second most production. Well, that's obviously not going to happen because you have Luke and KP, but he's proven that he can give you the third most production, and that is that is very valuable, uh, very valuable. And and that wasn't the case coming into the season. Remember, I, he was coming off the bench for the first month or, of, of the year, and I thought that that was a really good role for him, and I was very wrong about that. It wasn't a very good role for him, or maybe uh, he's not very good for the role, or I, I don't I was, know. I was with you on that. I thought the same thing. I thought he was going to be fantastic because he's a guy who's not afraid to shoot the ball. Right. Like he's a shooter and that he is a good like he can shoot the ball at a high level, yeah. but also he will shoot the ball a lot. And sometimes you just need guys that will do that off the bench because, um, you know, with J.J. coming back from his Achilles and with losing Devin Harris, the bench was losing a lot of kind of its stability and its production year over year. And it's been a very good second unit for really the entire Carlisle era because of guys like Jet before. But then like this Berea, Harris, Dwight Powell, Dirk quad that kind of ran things for the last few seasons while Dirk retired JJ's Achilles Devin Harris is uh not with the team anymore and Dwight Powell is starting so okay who's going to be the bench guy well it's Tim when his first 13 games 34 percent from the field 29 percent from three the Mavs were sort of like winning in spite of that and I remember after the Mavs beat the Spurs uh this was November 18th Dallas beat the Spurs and in that game Tim scored zero points Shot 0 of 5 from the field, 0 for 3 from uh, beyond the arc. He had a turnover. He was just completely ineffective. And after that game, I was thinking, man, this is its not working out. You know, it is not working out. Well, lo and behold, two days later, Seth Curry comes down with, I don't know, a bug, I think. Was it a bug or did he turn his ankle? So. He missed the game for whatever reason. And it was against the Warriors and Tim started and he scored 20 points on seven shots. And I was like, wait a minute. Okay. Uh, he's actually good again. <laughs> and then he kept starting and he kept being good and he kept being good and he kept being good. And suddenly now it's, you know, June. And uh, I assume he's still very good, but he had such a good back half back 75% of the, of the season as a starter. And I think that the qualities, and this is kind of, I guess, of a, a Hot take. I don't know. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think the qualities that in my mind make him a good bench player actually make him a better starter because whenever you're playing with a guy like Luca, you're going to get the ball passed to you a lot. And in those moments, like you got to be willing to shoot the ball. You got to be ready mentally to shoot and you have to be ready like physically, like, you know, you have to set yourself to shoot. And we all know Tim loves to shoot. And so the, the fact that he is like, He's willing to take open shots or even like semi-contested difficult shots when he has to is a positive trait because elsewhere on this team, there are guys who either, 
you know, maybe don't trust the three-point shot as much or don't take it as often, don't want to take it as often, or maybe it takes them longer to get their shot off. Like, Tim is just catch and shoot. It's gone. You know, he's like, he's always ready. And I think that's what makes him such kind of an ideal compliment to Luka and KP is that you don't need much space. You don't need much time. All he needs is just the pass to be on target and he's going to get a shot off. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at ideal players to put alongside your your stars, what I was saying while it goes, like, all right, you got to have shooting. You got to space out the floor. And in a perfect world, man, I would love to have 40% three-point shooters around Luke and KP. Well, bam, you have Tim Hardaway Jr. and Seth Curry this year, both shooting over 40% from three. And when they're on the court at the same time as those other guys, you have space for days. And you talk about catching and shooting. Yeah, I mean, gosh, his shot is so quick. But even looking at his, like, digging deeper into his stats this year, as a, you know, we all fall victim to, as a Mavs fan, that we watch every Mavs game, we go to a lot of them, and or before quarantine, and it's like, we would we would see him score, and it's like, I feel like he's really good at catch-and-shoot shots, and th- then you look at it, and literally just looking at a, a simple thing on synergy of a, a minimum of 200 possessions of catch-and-shoot shots this year, Tim Hardaway ranks third in that in points per possession. He's shooting 42% wow. on, on those catch-and-shoot shots. And at third in that, 1.2 points per possession behind just two players. Duncan Robinson's one, and Joe Harris is two. And it's wow. like, all right, it, it, you see stats like that, and you're like, all right, I'm not just a biased Mavs fan. Then I'm just, like, watching, and I think he's good at it. But at that a minimum of 280 i mean oh he has 280 i just put the minimum at 200 in this but he has 280 possessions of a catch and shoot shot so so he literally is one of the best catch and shoot players in the league and that's exactly what you would want playing alongside luka Doncic. yeah and if you give him space this season a couple more stats whenever there's six plus feet between him and the nearest defender so that's considered wide open He's shooting 44.9% on threes, which is, I mean, that's almost automatic. Whenever he's open, so between four and six feet, between him and defender, it's 40.8%. And then this is the most impressive to me. Whenever there's two to four feet between him and the nearest defender, which is tight, that's contested, he's still shooting 36.3%, which is like almost like your average three-point shooter is going to shoot around 36.3% on all attempts, not just the contested ones. That includes the open ones. But he's so money on these open shots, and that's very valuable because, dude, how many times do we see, whether it's Powell or Maxi or Boban or even KP screening for Luka, there's two guys in Luka's face, and there's a guy cheating over to KP no matter where he is on the floor, and so you only have two defenders to cover the other three players. And there's, it's impossible for two guys to cover all that ground whenever you have Tim in one corner and Curry in the other. And so the fact that Hardaway's been able to knock down enough of these shots, not just enough of these shots, more than enough of these shots to not only have gaudy numbers, but also like make defenses pay. I mean, you, you simply cannot leave him or Curry open, especially in the corners. In fact, I think Tim is still the number one three-point shooter from the right corner this season. It might be from the left wow. corner. I always get confused because, like, it's the right corner if you're facing the basket. But if you're looking, like, over the court, it's, like, on your left-hand side. You know, it's, like, yeah. stayed left versus, uh, yes. like, audio, you know. Um, but anyway, I think he's the number one uh, three-point shooter in the league. That's that's a Kirk Goldberry thing that I found uh, earlier uh, in the, during the hiatus. I guess there's no games been played, so if he was number one, then he still is number one. But um, 
that's the type of thing where like going back to the original thing of like who's the x factor well tim is an x is not an x factor but in a playoff scenario i'm curious to to hear your uh your thoughts on this we saw luke and kp start with hardaway and curry a lot after dwight powell went down uh you know that kind of like the Mavs went to this sort of like KP at the five smaller lineup, um, which I think was always going to probably happen into the playoffs anyway, just because typically things get a little smaller uh, in the postseason, especially in the fourth quarter. But whenever you have Curry and Tim out there, like if those guys get hot on any given night, like just one of them, not both of them, if, the, if both get hot, then you're going to win no matter what. But if just one of those guys gets hot and gives you like a five for seven or six for eight shooting night from three, that's the type of thing that can swing a game. And in in a playoff series and in, in, in an environment where there's no home team and where there's no fans and, like, there's no altitude if you're the Nuggets or the Jazz, there's no, like, Staples mystique if you're the Lakers uh, or the Clippers, I guess. Um, I mean, there's just, like, all, all things are equal, right? Yeah. And so the distinguishing uh, traits between these teams, that what, what's going to decide these series is – those guys, and it feels like the Mavs is those guys, if we're talking about Hardaway specifically and Seth Curry, are a whole lot better than most other teams is those guys, right? I mean, yeah. right? Yeah, no, no, for real. I mean, I, I think I think back to when I, when I look at pre, and I actually want to touch on this before the end of this pod of like pre-Mavs days for Tim Hardaway, but one of the uh, first memories that I remember of him in the league was that I think it was that rookie sophomore game of him and Deion Waiters going back and forth. And it was like three after three and everybody was going nuts at that all-star weekend. And it was just one of those moments where it's like, all right, Tim Hardaway Jr. It, he's not known just for his dad, which was a great NBA player. Like this dude can get buckets. Like he can score the basketball. And yeah, it's like in these settings that we could see in Disney, you're going to see something like that. You, you've seen what a, an impact. I mean, I think it's something like J.R. Smith had for like the Cavs and some of those teams. Like a guy like that gets hot and hits a bunch of threes. It can, I mean, especially if one of your stars is having a, a down game or an off game or something. But in addition to your stars, that's where it comes, you know, it comes in key to play. I mean, you look at, uh, just look at the um, 2011 run and look at that Peja game and him get. And I think Tim Hardaway's a better player than Peja, but look at the impact of Peja hitting all those threes in one of those games. Like, a lot of us look at that game like, oh, that's the Peja game. Well, we could very well see and be like, oh, that's the Tim game. That's the Hardaway game. Come, you know, come a, a month or so from now, and Tim Hardaway puts up 27, hits like five threes, and we're like, all right, that was the game they won in that series. Tim Hardaway, I could very well see Tim Hardaway winning them a basketball game in a playoff series come Disney. Dude, absolutely. He's played 63 games this season. And he shot at least 40% on threes in 32 of them, so basically right at half. And he shot at least 50% on threes in 21 of them, so one out of every three games. So if you're in a six-game series, he's going to hit half his threes in two of those games. And he's taking the average is seven attempts per game from three. I mean, these are like mind-boggling numbers. No, well, I'm glad you mentioned the seven threes a game because I looked at that and I was looking at just his basic stats. I'm like, all right, well, he's averaging about 15 points a game. And I just put this in a, a player, uh, a season finder on uh, on Basketball Reference, and which is like probably your home screen on your computer. Um, but, I have uh, two of their tabs open right now. <laughs> uh, but just the general 25 minutes per game, a solid role in a rotation, 15 points a game, 
40% from three on seven attempts from three per game. Just those four qualifiers there for Tim Hardaway that he hits all of them. How many players in the league hit those qualifiers? And we're looking at just five players. We're looking at Gallinari. We're looking at Towns. We're looking at uh, Bojan Bogdanovic. We're looking at Tim Hardaway Jr. And we're looking at Davis Bertans. And it's like, that's if we're looking at those type of numbers, like, hey, I, we're going to have to have a player in our starting lineup that has a solid role. I want, you know, we we need a, a third guy. Whatever you think a third guy is or, you know, however you feel about a third star, third guy, you at least need a third guy to give you something, you know, 12 to 17 points, somewhere, somewhere through there. It gives you that solid 15. And, yeah, so when you, you look at these things, it's like, all right, Tim hits all of these. He's hitting all of these this season. So – even going back to the beginning of this pause, like, hey, what'd you expect, man? I think, I think it's almost impossible for him, for you to for somebody to be like, all right, he's not hitting my expectations. I think he's hit every expectations of what you would want. And even comparing him to a guy that was connected to the Mavericks in the offseason and free agency and that whole, gosh, the weeks worth of it felt like weeks. I guess it could have just been days of the Danny Green stuff. And that we thought, you know, Danny Green is very open about being interested in Dallas and stuff. And I look back on it now because we were wanting somebody like Danny Green. We were wanting somebody, a wing, who could play some defense and hit a three-pointer at, you know, 40% from three and all this different stuff. And it's like, yeah, it would have been, it would have been cool to have another wing in addition. But what we wanted in Danny Green, we had right here in Tim Hardaway. And it's like, we're getting even looking at their their numbers this year, just doing a simple comparison of them this year, you know, Tim's at 15 a game, Danny Green's at eight. Even look at three-point percentage, Danny Green shooting 37% from three on four attempts a game. Tim's shooting seven threes a game at 40% from three. So it's like, man, what we were wanting from Danny Green, Tim Hardaway's given to the Mavs right now. Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, just replaying this podcast for the last five minutes in my mind, I was kind of thinking like, man, we really are like making this guy out like he's the best <laughs> player of all time or something. And, you know, we're, obviously this is a Mavericks podcast. And so yeah. there's there's inherent bias. But like, I think part of the reason that you, that you and I and, and really anybody that 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 really like thinks about this team uh, on, on whatever that publicly sort of like whatever. I'm not going to be like media people, but like your your basketball thinkers. Right. Uh, anytime they think about the Mavs, I think it, you have to sort of – everybody understands that Tim is having a really good season, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. that part of part of that is, like, accepting the numbers. Like you said, the, the season finder thing, you don't even have to be that specific. If you just make it 15 points and 40% shooting from three, there's 10 guys that have done that wow. this year. Collins, Towns, Bertans, Middleton, Fournier, Gallinari, Bogdanovich, uh, Marcus Morris – Rosier and Tim and Tim has the sixth best effective field goal percentage of the group. And so six at six out of 10. And so he's, and he's making less than, I think all of those guys, except for Collins, who's still in a rookie deal and Bertans, I guess too. But uh, so, I mean, not only is he giving you really like efficient production at a relative discount, but also he's vastly outperforming his expectations, man. I mean, coming yeah. into this season, a successful Tim season, in my opinion, would have been double-digit points per game on average or better efficiency from both three-point land and from, like, the field overall. So can you be average or better from the field 
and can you consistently give me 10 to 12 points per game? Yeah. He's consistently giving 15 lately to 20 points per game on way above average shooting. And so, like, you know, if you thought that – if you wanted Tim to be like Steph Curry, then you're disappointed. But that's literally the only way that you can be disappointed about the season he's had because he has been just that good and that efficient in really every area. Yeah, and, and if – you give me a chance here. I, I want to look at the beginning of his career and I kind of want to walk through it a little bit because this is where the unfair, when we're looking at words, I, I think kind of our presumption of him or our opinion of him when he was traded to Dallas was kind of unfair a little bit. And this shows where you go in your career at the beginning of your career can mean so much. So he's drafted first. over. I mean, at first overall, he's drafted in the first round 25th overall to the Knicks. And he spends two years there, and then he gets traded to Atlanta. So he's under Phil Jackson in, in, in New York, goes to Atlanta, and he plays on those Horford, Millsap teams. He makes the playoffs both of those years. And the Hawks, like, hey, they, the Hawks were very adamant. You could go look at these uh, the reports back then. It's like, hey, they wanted to keep him. But here's the thing. The last season of his rookie contract, the final six weeks of that season, he averaged 18 points a game and shot 38% from three. So he had like this hot streak at the end of that. On track season, baby. I know. Let's go. It's like this is what you this is what you know you got to do. And he enters restricted restricted free agency. The Knicks had just got rid of Phil Jackson. They bring in Steve Mills, and this is Steve Mills's first big move. And they they hand Tim Hardaway Jr. a four-year, 71 million dollar contract. If you're Tim, you're like, heck yeah, sign me up. Atlanta wanted to keep him because he fit really well next to Millsap and Horford and those guys, but they couldn't afford the $71 million contract. And the moment he put his name on that paper, then the expectations go up. And it's like, all right, well, now he's he has a $71 million contract. And so then he, he goes to New York, and he goes to New York the same summer that the Mavericks drafted Dennis Smith Jr. So it's, this is an Ilikina draft for, for, the, for the Knicks. And his first season in New York is the KP ACL injury. Then he's playing with a roster of Nilakina, Cantor, Michael Beasley, Courtney Lee, Jarrett Jack, Emmanuel Moutier, Trey Burke. And you look at that, like that season, he shot 31% from three. Uh, he, was a, he was averaging 15 shots a game. He was a, a whole different role then. And it, he leaves the complimentary role in Atlanta, goes to New York. Then he's having to take a lot of these shots. He's he's put into this whole different type of role. And they win 29 games. And on top of that, then his second season back in New York after signing that contract, there's no, no Porzingis. Porzingis is still not back. The roster is still, for lack of better terms, bad. And it's David Fisdale's first, first year. We even look at Tim's been in the league how, how many years? Seven years? These are the head coaches that he's had in his career so far. Mike Woodson, Derek Fisher, Bud, Hornacek, David Fisdell, Rick Carlisle. He's had seven. I mean, he's had six head coaches in his career. I'm not making excuses for it. I just think that it, the roles that he's played and playing four years of his career, three and a half years of his career in New York, for pretty much a different head coach every single year on top of Porzingis ACL injury out for a year and a half of those. And he had the contract. So then everybody was expecting these big things from him. And that just, 
you see these type of players that they fit into these roles perfectly. And then he comes to Dallas and everybody's looking at him. It's like, all right, well, look at his numbers in New York. Look at, you know, he's getting paid so much money and he's not very efficient and all this stuff. I'm like, well, that's kind of unfair, I think. I think it's an unfair tab to give him. And then, bam, look what happens. He comes to Dallas. He gets back in kind of a similar type role that he was in Atlanta. He's not shooting the ball 15 times a game. This season in Dallas, he's shooting the ball 12 times a game. Shots, shot attempts going down, but efficiency's going up. And that's, I mean, that's, I think this is the perfect spot for him right now. So I just think it's been a little bit unfair for how he's been viewed compared to, or considering his path and the contract that he's on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all the new systems. And, and I think, too, you know, getting KP here and Courtney Lee here and Tim here and even Trey Burke here, who was pretty good last year after the deal uh, before going on to sign with the Sixers. Um, and then seeing what happened to other players after they go to New York and maybe fall off a little bit like you see both sides. It's it's a it's a system thing and an environment thing and a culture thing and all of those things. But I, I think for Tim too, I mean, personnel and coaching matter a lot. Like you said, he's had a different coach basically every season every season of his career. But he was playing in the triangle for a few years in New York. And yeah. in that season with KP that you talked about, uh, that was his first season back there after uh, he was with the Hawks. When KP was on the floor that season, he shot thirty three percent on threes, which still isn't great, but. It's better than the 30.8% he shot whenever KP was off the floor. So once KP went down, I mean, Tim's efficiency sank too. And that's that's no surprise. But it's not only because KP was hurt. It's because you're playing in the triangle, which is not a very three-point friendly offense. Whereas now, you know, his role is simplified um, to that. It's, it's basically just fill the corners and then, you know, come up to the top of the key whenever they need you. I mean, it, and and that's not like minimizing his contribution that's literally just the role of the wings in the Mavs offense you see Tim do that Dorian Seth Curry Courtney Lee every wing on the floor does that same thing for Dallas fill the corners and then move whenever you whenever Luke is in trouble I mean that's really all you have to do and you're going to be open no matter you know it's just a matter of can you make the shot and um Tim has done that so I mean it's just kind of a natural I don't know it's a natural fit for him you know yeah. it's natural fit coming coming shooting threes I mean it's it seems very simple but Sometimes, I mean, and, and that's part of, like, talent evaluation, too, that you, me, fans, really, unless you're, like, with in the, in the room with teams and, like, you know scouts and GMs and stuff, evaluating talent is so hard because if you watch a player like Tim Hardaway for the Knicks, yeah. you're going to think, man, this guy's inefficient, overpaid, shot chucker. And then if you watch Tim Hardaway for the Mavs, you're going to be like, dude, this is like the ideal 3 and D. Exactly. Wing. You know, uh, he's a guy who can guard guards. Now, I, I think everybody agrees he could stand to improve on defense. Everybody on the Mavs could. Everybody in the NBA could. But but, but he's not bad. I do want to point out, like, he's not he's not horrible at defense. I don't have a lot of defensive stats. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of. Um, yeah. He, he could beat one-on-one a little too much. Um, he's not Dorian. I mean, I think Dorian's a yeah, better. Defender I mean, Dorian sure. is like. I, I guess even three and D wing is not appropriate for Tim because he's better. He's better than three and D is more of like, you literally shoot threes and play defense. You know, yeah. Tim is like a scorer. I mean, he Tim Tim is Tim is a, a, a tier above, but he's like the ideal NBA wing. I'll even say that he's yeah. very freaking good. He can shoot seven threes at forty percent, and so 
if you watch him there and then you watch him here, you're going to see two totally different players. Which one of them is the truth? I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, I, I have no idea. And and now you think, okay, well, there's 30 teams. Each team has 15 guys plus two two-way guys. How many guys are in the wrong situation for them? How many yeah. players are in the perfect situation for them? We just have no way of knowing. But now it's like, man, if Tim had played his entire career in Dallas, how different would his reputation be? Like how different – but but because we have, we have this anchoring – in our mind of like, this guy is a chucker. Then whenever he goes over three in the first quarter, fans are going to be mad. And the people are going to yeah. be like, well, that's just what he does. But then like, he has a season of, you know, shooting the lights out of the gym and you're like, Oh wow. I didn't know that he was capable of doing that. I mean, maybe he just never had the chance to do it. I don't know. It's one of those perception. Like you said, man, perception is everything. And I think for him, looking back on it, especially coming up this off season where he'll, he'll have a, a really important, a decision to make with his player option but it's you have to imagine in his shoes he's thinking okay what would my decision look like if i'd still been in new york and i was still shooting 15 times a game at 30 percent from three and my the opinion of me around the league was this you know he chucks it on these bad teams and just gets shots up now man look he might not shoot the ball as much. And I think, I think it's almost like so many players can look at this around the league and it's like, Hey, you, you don't always need to chase the situation to where you get more shots. It's finding the right situation because I think Tim Hardaway will get more money now moving forward because of this role that he's playing in Dallas and he's playing it so well and fitting in so well that this role he's playing in Dallas, you could play that role for any team. Like every team is looking for this type of player in this type of role. So I, yeah, I think this this season in Dallas or season yeah season a half in Dallas, I think it's gonna pay dividends for him moving forward. Well, every team needs three of those guys. I yeah. mean, the future of the NBA is having a big playmaker, a big guy who can screen and then either roll or pop. Ideally, who can do both, and then you surround them with guys who can shoot and create their own shot. I mean. They've kind of created the the ideal triumvirate here. Luca, KP, Tim. I mean, this is what this is what every offense's goal is: is to have Luca, KP, Tim, Seth Curry, and then you have a fifth player in there. Is it? Do you need defense? Go Dorian. Do you need size? Go Powell. Do you want rolling? Go Powell. Do you want a big guy who can shoot? Go Maxi. You have this core of creator unicorn shooter shooter and then you can just fill in the fifth role with whatever you need that night and that is that's just such a pleasant thing to see man because for the last five years the Mavs have had players you know Dennis Dirk obviously Barnes Wesley Matthews DeAndre Jordan uh Luca rookie year Luca I mean they had like some they had some really talented players but they just were never able to get to that, like, we are unstoppable stage of offense. Yeah. But whatever they're doing, I mean, it's just working. It's working. Yeah. And, um, I mean, Tim and Seth Curry, and they're, they're just as responsible for the success of this thing as Luca because they've kept it afloat without Luca. They kept it afloat without KP. Um, that's why, to me, I mean, a guy like Tim is more than a role player. He's not an all-star, but he's not a guy. You know, he is the third 
I think he he is kind of your ideal third option. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that word third, like third star, third option, it kind of gets skewed a little bit because when we think of big threes and we think of, you know, the Warriors teams or Miami teams with Bosh and LeBron or, you know, even going back to like those Boston teams, it's like we put in our head third star third in that third person has to be an all-star and it doesn't necessarily have to be an all-star every time. So like, it's okay that Tim's not at that all-star crazy, you know, big three type of level, but as for a third option, now that's why I like how you use the word option instead of third star that everybody talks about it's third option. He's fitting that role. Perfect. Yeah, for sure. Because he can play off of the first two. Or he yeah. can do his own thing. I mean, it is whenever the ball goes to him, the possession is not dead. He keeps possessions alive by creating his own shot, by hitting open shots, and he can even swing it too and, and do – he can run some pick and roll too. I mean, he really is uh, – he, he is an ideal partner for these guys. It's, it's, been, it's been beautiful to see, and it's been a surprise that I, I don't think anyone outside of Tim, I'm sure, and the locker room, I mean, those guys probably probably saw it in him. But, like – even the most optimistic people, you and I, I mean, I'm, I'm wearing a Maverick shirt right now. I'm the most biased person ever. I did not see him achieving this level this season, and I'm very happy to be wrong. Very happy to be wrong, Isaac. Um, is, there anything, uh, is there anything you want to add or any whatever you want to you wanna say before, uh, before we get out of here? I'll just say that I think it's cool to see that you know, those stars and Luca and KP, they trust him. And I think you saw that personified – at, at the end of that, I think it was the Clippers. You can correct me if I'm wrong. The end of that Clippers game at home, when the ball swings around, and Luca has the shot to take at, the, you know, at the, near the top of the key, and instead of taking it, he swings it to Tim, and Tim's wide open on that right wing, and it was a perfect three, perfect shot, and everything. Tim misses it. They lose the game, but they trusted him, and Luca trusted him to take that shot, and I think that shows you right there is like, hey. They know that he's fitting well. They they love him on the court with them. And uh, at that moment in a big game like that, that everyone was watching, Luca didn't take that shot, and he trusted Tim to take that shot. And I think we could see a moment like that happen again, and hopefully next time it goes in. I think too one the the last thing that he adds, I guess we didn't talk about this, is um, he just has he has a little fire, you know. Luca is a showman, and he's more of like the laughing sort of like, oh, basketball is fun, isn't it? This is so much. This is so cool. And KP has this. KP is definitely a confident guy, but it's 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 quiet, right? He's not he's not a, like, a guy. More like a business. Yeah, yeah. Side, it's but... it's very much just like a. I'm good. I know I'm good. That was a good play. I know it was pretty cool. Uh, I'm just gonna you know give a fist bump and and go back down the court. Tim is like Tim kind of wears his emotions on his sleeve a little bit. He's not afraid to to get the crowd into it and to and to scream and to cuss and to just fire people up, you know? And um kind of like what the Matthews gave. Yeah, very similar to Wes and and you know, obviously Tyson was at you know, a championship level, but watching Dirk here for 20 seasons, Dirk was very much kind of the more KP school of just be kind of quiet. And like, you know, I know that I'm very good. I don't need to, I'm I'm not a screamer. Um, But you kind of have to have, you have to have some contrast there. Jason Terry was very much like Luca. 
he was very much a just like I'm gonna do something fancy and I'm gonna do a little funny celebration and uh, you know I'm gonna go over and I'm gonna I'm gonna take a fan's popcorn and stuff you know. But you needed a little you needed some intensity, and um, even though Tim isn't necessarily a veteran in terms of playoff experience, you know he's only been in maybe one or two playoff series in his career. Uh, he's not even a veteran in terms of age. He's only what like 27, 28 years old. He's still a pretty young guy. Uh, but he's played a lot more basketball than those two have uh, in the NBA, at least. And he has been to the postseason and he's business as usual, like KP. But he's also he's he's a little boisterous, a, a little more so than Luca. And I think that that's a really good combination as well, because you just have to have someone who's not afraid to yell whenever someone needs to yell, you know, and uh, and, and and that's Tim. And there are a couple other guys on the team that will do it, too. But. Um, I really appreciate that about Tim's character and kind of his like demeanor on the floor too. Um, oh man. Well, we just spent 45 minutes talking about one guy. Uh, there are a whole lot more players on this team. Uh, we'll, we'll talk. We'll, we, we got some time left before the season restarts, Isaac. So um, how about we do the same thing here in a couple of days, maybe talk about someone else. What do you think? Hey, I'm down anytime. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you for listening if you enjoyed the show, uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, maybe uh, subscribe, maybe leave a review, maybe rate us uh, five stars or something. Do whatever you got to do. Um, we're making episodes for you pretty much every day of the week. I say every day, but then, uh, like, we didn't have one yesterday. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, we're, 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 tr- we're trying the best we can. Uh, but we will be back with you tomorrow for sure and also next week as well. In the meantime, he is Isaac. Isaac L. Harris on Twitter. I am Bobby, Bobby Corella on Twitter. If you don't have Twitter, don't get one. If you do, follow us. Uh, it's some good basketball content all the time, especially now the league is getting ready back to fire it up. We will be with you every step of the way on Mavs Plane. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>